Welcome to Stunt Stories. I'm Corey Eubanks. And today, what I want to talk about is this gentleman who was such a huge influence on me and my career. And unfortunately, he is no longer with us. He passed away. His name is Alan Wyatt Jr. And for those who had the privilege and the, I would say the honor and the privilege of working with Alan Wyatt Jr. are going to totally relate to these stories. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about this incredible man and his attitude toward dealing with pressure, dealing with peers, dealing with the industry, and dealing with stunts. And this man has performed in his career some of the most incredible stunts. For an example, he performed the biggest, the longest General Lee jump in, in the history of the show, the Dukes of Hazard. He jumped over a train now in Oxnard, and there's been a couple of different numbers that have been thrown around, 232 feet, 231 feet. <laughs> You know what? He jumped over 230 feet. I mean, it's, I, I believe it was 232. Maybe it was even longer because I have, having worked on the show for four years, did 87 episodes, I would see how they would measure the distance from the, the jump ramp to the first divot where the vehicle would hit the ground because we never jumped from ramp to ramp. Every jump we did with the General Lee or with the Roscoe Enos cars we're always from ramp to ground, not uh, not ramp to ramp, ramp to ground. And Alan Wyatt is, I say is, he's no longer with us. I, in my heart, in my soul, he's just, he is with me. Um, he's with a lot of us. He, his, he's been so, has influenced us in so many different ways, in, in a positive, positive ways. But his soul, he was so... Um, his sense of humor, um, the, the way he would deal with pressure was so he, like nonchalant, like he just didn't care. He would show up for work uh, wearing, wearing shorts and flip-flops. You know, he lived in Malibu, um, you know, loved the surf, loved his dog, loved his wife, loved, you know, just loved his kids. Um, but just to show up on a, on a show knowing that you're going to be doing vehicular stunts and you're wearing shorts, OP shorts and flip-flops. He would drive the General Lee wearing f- shorts and flip-flops. Maybe in the wintertime if it was really, really cold and it, and it would get cold out where we were filming, either in, in Westlake behind Lake Sherwood or out in Valencia, it, it would get cold and he would wear, you know, he'd wear long pants and maybe... Maybe every once in a while, throw on a pair of tennis shoes, but the majority of the time it was flip-flops. He would jump the General Lee wearing flip-flops. It was just, and, and, and you know, I'm putting on steel toe boots, you know, because I'd kick, kick the dash underneath, break a toe. But this man, the way he would deal with, with pressure was just like, I, I think it's really helped me um, throughout my career because sometimes adding additional pressure onto yourself when you're going to perform a stunt just makes things worse. You get tight, you get tense, your, your, your reflexes are seem to be restricted. And, 
um, you're, you're afraid to almost do anything and and because you're so nervous. And but with Alan, it was that was never the case. Nothing would make him nervous. And I know this because when I first started working on the Dukes of Hazard back in 1981, I would be his passenger the majority of the time. I would be doubling Tom Wopat um, and riding passenger with Alan and getting to watch this man the way he would he would pitch the steering wheel and and the, the the flow and the momentum that how he would set up the general lee you know kind of pitch it one way then go to pitch it the other way before he'd get on the accelerator to power slide around these corners and 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 has been such his style um has been has influenced so many people i remember working on oh what was the movie uh um one of those fast and furious movies oh tokyo drift and there's a very famous drifter um race car driver named reese millen great guy nice man and we were talking about the dukes of hazard and he said how that show watching that general lee you know slide you know sliding power sliding around those 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 turns um made him want to become a drifter and and drift cars and so he's he's (laughs) and his sense of humor was just i mean this man I'll give you an example. We were, we were working on a, on a film. Uh, I was doubling Sylvester Stallone on a movie called Get Carter. We were up in Seattle. And Alan knew that there was this radio shack down the street. And he says, Corey, come on, let's go buy some of those remote control cars. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, it'll be fun. So we went and we bought these little remote control cars. I mean, they were, they were you know, bigger than a shoebox. They were pretty decent size little remote control. And so <laughs> Alan, he, we, we brought him to set and we're on, we're shooting at nights and we're on the street and up ahead of us, um, Alan's parked across the street from me in an ND car and I'm on the other side of the street. And he, he goes, Hey Corey, go to channel two. So I switched my walkie talkie to channel two and he goes, watch, watch this. And, and you can see those cops down there. Now we had cops that were working f- for the production that were holding traffic at this intersection. And Alan goes, watch. And he opens his door and puts his remote control car down on the ground and starts driving it toward this big black cop that's standing there with his back to us. Now his name, his nickname was Hacksaw. Really nice man. Good sense of humor. You know, comes off really rough and gruff, but really, you know, just a teddy bear of a man. Very nice man. And he's like 6'4". And he's standing there with his back to us. And Alan's driving this remote control down the street, heading toward this man. Now, Alan's car had this little lever on the remote control that if you hit it, it kicked down this little leg underneath that would make the car pop up in the air so you could actually go down and pop up in the air and get onto a sidewalk. It's like a little jump, like a little you know, hydraulic jump ramp, you know, underneath the, the belly of the car. And he gets this thing going and it's probably going 10, 15 miles an hour. That's kind of moving pretty fast for a little remote control car. And as soon as he gets to the back of Hacksaw, he hits the button that pops the car up in the air and hits Hacksaw right in the ass, just smacks him right in the butt. And he spins around like what the hell and sees this little car and it had flipped up onto its, onto its side. And Alan was still on the, if, you know, on the throttle, trying to get the thing to get back on its wheels, and it's doing little donuts in the intersection. And Hacksaw goes over there and tries to kick it, and he misses, and it 
gets back up on its wheels and Alan spins it around and starts driving it down the street. And now Hacksaw notified his other two officers, hey, let's, you know, find out who's got this remote, remote control car that just hit me in the ass. And they all start jogging down the street following the remote control car that Alan then steers right up to my door. I'm parked across the street from him and they steer it right up to my door. <laughs> and here comes Hacksaw and the cops and they come to me and they open up my car door and there's the, the little remote control car at my door. And, and, and Alan steps out of his car and go, Corey, what did you do that for? <laughs> And I had to say, Hacksaw, I did not do, I don't have a remote control in my car. It's Alan. He did. (laughs) So he would do things like that. I remember one time on the Dukes of Hazzard, I was so nervous. Like one of the first times I got to drive for Paul Baxley, who was the stunt coordinator, second unit director, very intimidating man, just very intense, had that stare. If he looked at you, just eyes just would like just stab you in the face. He just very intense. And this timing sequence that we had to do and where Henry Kenji was coming up off the upper road and a couple other cars and I had to fall in behind the third car and I couldn't see them because they were above me. And Paul Baxley said, I'll, Hey, Corey, I'll cue you when to go. You'll hear action. And then I'll hear, you'll hear Corey. So I'm sitting there just nervous, sweaty palms. Alan is my passenger. This is like a reverse of what I'm not, I'm used to. Usually I'm the passenger He's driving, but now I'm starting to drive doubling Tom Wopat. And they roll cameras, and I'm like looking at the car, D. Okay, it's in D for drive. That's right. Okay, I'm in drive. And, you know, the, the engine's still running. Okay, I'm good. Got enough gas? Yeah, I'm good. I'm nervous, waiting for my, my cue. And and I hear Paul Baxley, okay, and action. And the cars, I can hear the cars going on the upper road above me. And vroom, vroom, vroom. And all of a sudden, Corey, go, go, go. And Alan reaches over and turns off my key and flicks it out my window. And I hear it because we're parked alongside this dried riverbed. And I can hear the key kind of ricocheting off the rocks, kind of a tink, tink, tink. And I'm like, oh, my God. And Paul Baxter's like, Corey, go. I said, go, go, go. And I pick up my walkie-talkie and I'm like, "Um, sorry, sir, the car won't run. And Alan's just cracking up laughing. <laughs> and so Paul Baxley gets on the walkie to get Tommy Sermento. Tommy Sermento, he's the mechanic on the show. Tommy, get your ass to set right now. This damn car's not running. And so now I'm like, oh, great. And Alan's cracking up. And I'm thinking I'm going to get Tommy in trouble because the, I said the car went running. When Tommy finally got there, what's wrong? What's wrong? I go, well, it, it won't run because the key is not in the ignition. Why isn't the key in the ignition? And Alan's like, yeah, because I threw it out in the riverbed. And and Tommy's like, oh, Junior, come on, man. And so he would do things like that that would just, we, we were working on a, on a show for John Moyle, a show called Hollywood Beat, and we were filming down in Hollywood. And about two, about a city block over, the intersection was being held by the, the LAPD, the cops, the motorcycle cops that were working for our production. And Alan had this water balloon launcher. Now, it was so big that it would take three people to operate it. You'd have to hold one side of it. Someone would hold the other side. And then in the center, there's this little little area, this leather spot that was kind of indented that you'd put the water balloon. 
and had a handle on the back of it. And you'd have to really, this bungee cord, you'd have to really pull hard. And Alan was, you know, he was 6'3", weighed about 265. And he'd pull this, this back as far as he could and stretch that bungee cord. And he'd aim it like up in the sky and he'd let go. And that water balloon would just launch like 100 yards or more straight up in the air. And then it would fall down. In, he had incredible accuracy. He used to play semi-pro baseball. Maybe he got it from that. And his timing was just in, incredible. But he would <laughs> he launches this water balloon like up over the edge of this building. And it comes down and lands like six feet from the one of the cops. <laughs> just explodes at his feet. You know, and Alan, like, quick, quick, give me another one. <laughs> he would do things like that. It was so much fun to work with. Another Another story real quick from from get carter we were up in in seattle and i had to do a a jump down this hill i had a slide a corner i was working for spiro risotto so i had to slide this corner and then line up with these jump ramps and jump down this hill well alan's coming down the hill in a right to left progression so he's i'm seeing him come down the hill from my right and as he goes to cross through the intersection i would take my own timing and i would take off in this Cadillac, doubling Sylvester Stallone. And I'd pitch it through the intersection and line up with those jump ramps and accelerate to take off. Well, Alan at that point is already going down the hill in front of me. So I lose sight of him. And I and I wanted it to be really, really close because Spiro didn't want in the chase. Stallone is right on this guy's ass. He's not there's not much separation between the two vehicles. So I was like trying to almost come in and just like almost clip his his rear bumper. But sliding sideways, you, you scrub off a lot of speed. And as Alan was still accelerating down the hill, I knew I had to get on it to try to close that gap. Well, Alan knew that I was going to be slowing down because I was sliding the vehicle sideways. So he was lifting off the accelerator to slow down so it, it wouldn't create that gap. But I didn't know that. So I'm accelerating. He's slowing down. I hit these jump ramps fly through the air. And as I'm starting to come down, I'm like, I still don't see Alan. Where the hell is he? I land right on top of him, right on top of his rooftop and just crush his rooftop and fall onto my side. And we slide down this hill and crash into a telephone pole. And it was unfortunate because it would have been a really cool free stunt for the movie. But when Stallone shows up later on after the chase, his vehicles got no damage to it whatsoever. So they, they couldn't, they, unfortunately, they, they could not use it. But uh, yeah, Alan, one of my first jumps, I think one of my first, within six jumps, maybe it was, when I was first started jumping the general, it wasn't my first, but, but what, probably like my fifth or sixth jump. And it was going to be over this semi-truck trailer lengthwise. And I was really nervous because this time for this jump, they brought out the two sections of the jump ramp. There wasn't just the one that ended at four feet high. They had another one that butted up to the front of that that extended the height and, and length of the ramp because they wanted me to get up over this semi-truck trailer because I was jumping it lengthwise and, and ended up going 173 feet and flipped over and landed on my windshield and then snap rolled four times and... Um, first time I ever got whiplash because I didn't keep my chin tucked into my ne- my neck collar because I, w- I was scared. I felt I felt like the ground was. I see the ground rushing through my windshield, and I thought, "Oh my god, I'm going to get crushed." 
and I started pushing myself back as away from the windshield and when I should have been tucking my chin and leaning forward. But, and, oh, and then when the, when the generally snap rolled, the battery flicked out. And I remember it hit our greensman. His name was Carlos, really nice man. But when this battery hit him right in the freaking chest and he had to go to the hospital. I had to go to the hospital. But anyway, going back to Alan, at the very beginning of that, when I was at my number one position, waiting for them to roll cameras and call action. And I'm all strapped in. I got my, my suspension harness on and my five point harness. And, you know, I'm nervous. It's like only my, you know, sixth jump, I think. And Alan, Alan smoked cigarettes at the time, back in the day. And he takes this big drag off this cigarette says, all right. And they go, okay, roll cameras. And he exhales this cigarette right in my face. <laughs> the smoke. And, even though I had my face shield on it, I could still smell the smoke. And then uh, they said, okay, and action, Corey. And Alan drops the cigarette right in between my legs. And as I'm accelerating, and the hot cigarette ash is like burning the inside of my thigh. So I'm trying to accelerate and focus on the jump ramp that I'm approaching at like 70 miles an hour and trying to smash out his cigarette with my butt cheeks so so it wouldn't burn me anymore. It's just things like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy, he, we, we walked into a restaurant once and, and my wife was with me and Susan, Alan's wife, beautiful lady, wonderful, wonderful human being. We walked into this really elegant, nice restaurant and they had a salmon that was on display, like, in, you know, under these lights, like, yeah, you could have this piece of salmon very odd, I thought, than that they would display at the food right there like that as you walk in, but there it was. And Alan just turns around and grabs the salmon and turns around and just slaps me right across the face with it, right in front of the whole restaurant. Just things like that that he would do that was um, unpredictable and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and funny, and, and, you know, funny. But, but yeah, his, his way of dealing with the pressure of it not being a big deal really um really has helped me throughout my career uh he he and his sense of timing unbelievable i as i've learned that's something that you can't teach you have to either be born with timing um or or i don't think it's a it's a it's not like a muscle that you can strengthen and, and his sense of timing was just incredible we we were sitting there in the generally one time and uh JP was our, our first AD on the first unit on Dukes. And he had this, he was a tennis player and he'd carry this tennis ball and he was bouncing the tennis ball off the windshield, like throwing it at Alan's face. Cause Alan was sitting behind the steering wheel and I was sitting next to him and he'd bounce this tennis ball, you know, and Alan reaches over and I see him put his hand on the windshield wiper uh, switch. And I'm like, I didn't even know if the windshield wipers worked. And JP throws the tennis ball and Alan flicks over the windshield wiper and the, and, you know, and these windshield wipers have not been used in like years. So they kind of stuck a little bit, but when they broke loose and they came across the windshield, it hit the tennis ball and knocked it down and off the side of the road. And I'm like, how do you, how do you time something like that? His timing was just incredible. His sense of humor, just it, it, unbelievable. His one, one time, we were we were sitting again in the generally 
and I was I was driving. And I think that's when Alan gets bored when he's sitting passenger and, and you're driving and he's not. And he had to walkie talkie and he kind of the generally had the roll bar and this crossbar that would be kind of behind you. And <clears throat> he takes his walkie talkie without me knowing and kind of just leans his arm back across the roll bar. And he starts asking me questions about Paul Baxley. So Corey, what do you think about Paul Baxley? What do you think about Paul? And I was angry at the time because Paul was coming down on me for some stuff. I think I had screwed up on something and didn't feel that it was my fault. And maybe it was, but I felt like he was picking on me because I'm the young kid, you know, I'm the 18 year old kid on the show and I was a little perturbed. And so I'm like, I don't know, you know, he's, he's kind of an ass sometimes. And, you know, I don't know, sometimes he irritates me. And I start kind of venting to Alan, not knowing that the whole time he's cueing the walkie talkie on channel one. So everybody on the crew is hearing what I'm saying about Paul Baxley, who is my boss, who I'm working for. And finally, somebody walks by and looks at me. I think it was Jimmy Heron, who was the prop guy. And he looks at me with this look of like fear on his face and looks at me and starts, you know, doing the like cut that motion people do and like cut across your throat, like cut it, cut it, cut it, like stop. And I'm like, what? And, and he points at this walkie talkie and he's like, we can hear you. And Alan starts cracking up. And I'm like, and then there was another time we were, I was driving the General League going and we were broke for lunch and we want to drive down to base camp so we could go and have lunch. And, and Paul Baxley's crossing the street to get, to get the street, the dirt road, it, it, the road, the dirt road to get into the van to be shuttled down to the base camp. And I, so I stopped the General Lee to let Paul go in front of me. And Alan reaches over with his size 13 foot and stomps on the accelerator. And the generally just lunges towards Paul. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm I'm stomping on the brake. <laughs> and again, Alan looks at me. And, and Paul looks at me like, you son of a bitch. You almost hit me. And Alan looks at me and goes, what'd you do that for, Corey? Couldn't you see he was crossing in front of you? And Paul just shakes his head. And I, th- I think Paul knew th- that Alan was doing these, these things. <laughs> I think he knew that he set me up with the key. I think, you know, turning off the General Lee before when I was supposed to get that very crucial timing, I think he knew <laughs> that Alan set me up for the walkie-talkie, me venting about Paul. I, I think he he knew because Alan, he never, Paul never um, never came to me and said, hey, well, I got to talk to you about your attitude. <laughs> well, these, these, you know, stop trying to hit me with the car. And, oh, my gosh, we, we had some fun with Al Wyatt Jr., and I, I um, miss that man so much. And he has influenced so many of us that, that love, you know, the Dukes of Hazard TV show. Uh, and, and just an incredible man. And if you get a chance, go to IMDB, the Internet Movie Database. Look up Alan Wyatt Jr. And you'll see this long list of, of films and TV shows that he's worked on. And, and uh just an, an incredible man. And it was just, I felt like this, this was an opportunity for me. I, I, you know, got my little podcast show and you could kind of talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I wanted to just express my love and appreciation for this man who's no longer with us and for everything that he did to help me throughout my career. Um, not just in a physical way by him teaching me stuff, but the attitude and, and approaching um, stressful situations 
um, with more of a sense of humor as opposed to intensity. Um, and anyway, I want to say thank you very much for listening to this short episode of Stunt Stories about Alan Wyatt Jr. Thanks for listening.